from the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome again to the podcast. Hi, Justin. Hey, Lindsay. Happy to be back for this one. Yeah. I mean, all of them, but right. extra just, special. Just happy to be back. <laughs> happy to be back. Happy to be alive. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this is kind of special. We're doing the movie that we've talked about a numerous amount of times on this podcast, The Monster Squad. Finally. Uh, I would say the movie that that sparked our Mutual yeah. interest in films, like our connection, yeah, if you brought will. us together. Yeah, and so I'm glad. And it seemed like a movie that we wouldn't, uh, we didn't want to start out doing because it's it's one of those ones. It's like you know it or you don't know it. There's no mm-hmm. real in between. But we especially want to do it now because we had a great opportunity, which uh, I'm very thankful this podcast allowed for this opportunity. But yeah. um, we were able to interview the main actor. Who plays Sean? Andre Gower. Andre Gower and his producing partner, Henry McComas, because they actually did a feature length documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards, which is uh, doing the film festival run right now. So they were kind enough to do an interview with us. And we will play that interview for you a week from now. Mm-hmm. We want to do the Monster Squad episode, and then a week from now, we'll release our interview that we did with those guys. Um, give you some information if you don't know the movie tell you about it and if you do kind of get you jazz to learn a lot um a lot of information maybe you didn't know yeah. about it and i learned a week. lot we they were kind enough to give us yeah. a screener so we were able to uh, actually pull from that documentary some yeah. information to help us oh i'm so thankful for that yeah the documentary so. wolfman's got nerds was so great and um admittedly i might have watched it yeah. more than three times. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, you know. we'll talk a little bit about that at the end here. Um, but for Monster Squad, uh, again, this is a favorite of ours. Um, this falls into the, what I, what I consistently love, <laughs> what you call it, the horror light category. It falls into that uh, hybrid genre category, uh, mixing scares with fun, with humor, coming of age story. To me, this movie was always uh, side-by-side, hand-in-hand with Stand By Me when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, This was more of... Stand By Me was, like, I think a more emotional movie for me. And Monster Squad was more of a reflection on who I was at the time of being into horror movies, being into monsters, being a little bit of an outcast Mm -hmm. at my school. And uh, I was really dialed into these kids. Um, They felt very real to me growing up. Along the same lines, I would say Monster Squad um, was responsible for me wanting to like start a club when I was a kid. Um, I think mine was more like wanting to start like a X Files club, but it was like a fake FBI club or something like that. But you, you know, kids of the same with the same interest, you know, kind of sparked that for me as a youngster. And also um, comparing it to Stand by Me, I was. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was somewhat resentful anytime someone would say, oh yeah, that's like, Monster Squad's like the Goonies, but like with monsters, right? And I'm like, no, it's not actually. But 
um, that yeah. comparison has been made, and I feel like they are very different, but that comparison has yeah. been made before. You know, why, weirdly enough, I was, I've never been a fan of Goonies. Even as you a just kid. you just got so many claps from I, from people that love yeah. the Monster Squad. I've just never been a fan <laughs> of Goonies. I mean, and I've watched it probably yeah multiple times as a kid. And I even it's it's definitely a movie that I've seen in the last ten years to kind yeah. of you know when you always got to make sure you're like uh, to, you know and sure. I watched it, and it did nothing for me. But yeah, no offense to the people that love the Goonies because I know it's a. Um, my challenge is, you know what, you say you like the Goonies, try the Monster Squad. I guarantee you yeah. haven't seen it then yeah. because you would love it more, in my humble opinion. So for Monster Squad, uh, what are we talking about? We've got a few things yeah, on our list here. Well, we're definitely going to hit on the fact that it's a hybrid genre movie and also talk about Fred Decker, what this movie did for his career. Uh, Fred Decker, the director of Monster Squad. I'm sorry, yes. No, sorry. I'm, just, you know, he's just like my buddy. No, I, I just, know. I you know, know, Fred Decker, you know. For those that, for those <laughs> in the end. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, the cast, um, the special effects, we'll probably hit on that. And really what makes this movie so special uh, f- for the time that it came out. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the sort of, I guess, like, I guess you would call it the legacy of the Monster Squad. Yeah. Um, it's growing f- cult fan base and kind of tie that in when we talk about um, the documentary coming out. Yeah. Um, so outside of Monster Squad, we've got our picks of the week. Mine was a uh, house which uh, was based a movie based off of a story that Fred Decker wrote. And you did his debut feature. Night of the Creeps. Yeah. Which is a really great movie. And, and I love House, too. Yeah, House uh, was nice. It had been a while since I'd seen it, but it's a very, and it kind of, I think, plays in that same genre hybrid that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll do our picks of the week, and then, as always, our Murray moments. So uh, before we get into a Monster Squad clip, Lindsay, can you tell us what's a Monster Squad about? I know the title kind of gives a little bit away. (laughs) Uh, It's a squad of kids that fight monsters. Um... (laughs) Yes, basically that is it. Um, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, Gilman, or the creature from the Black Lagoon, and the mummy all descend upon this town. What about the Wolfman? Oh, God, Gilman. the Wolfman. I mean, all of them. Jeez. Jeez, how could I forget the Wolfman? Jeez. Um, all descend upon this town, and of course, it's up to a group of kids to take them down. The army can't do it. Police can't do it. You know who can? Anywhere, any kids from the age of like five to 14 can take them down. It's a lot of fun. It is strangely, these movies where we feel, and it was something that happened in the 80s where it just felt like kids could do anything, you know, fight crime and whatnot. Um, You really, I I buy it the whole time that um, they're going to take down Dracula and his gang. Um, when so, the, I like the level of sincerity with the fact that monsters exist, like even in yeah. the beginning when the, the, is it the principal? He's just like, well, monsters aren't real. And he's like, we don't know that, sir. You know? yeah. <laughs> it was like this very, <laughs> it was so molder, you know? like just to be like, we don't know that, sir, actually. Yeah. Um, um, but just, there's just like level of sincerity within the kids that I think makes, it just gives this movie charm. 
So we'll go to a clip from Monster Squad of maybe one of their first meetups, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, how this movie came to be. All right. Second way to kill a vampire. Mm, I give up. Daylight. Sunlight. Uh-huh. Back kid, what other kind of light is there during the day? Go away, Pete. Okay, question two. Is Frankenstein the name of the monster or the guy who made him? The guy. Right. Can't you read? Mom says you have to let me in the club or else it's prescription. That's discrimination, jerkoid. Prescriptions, drugs, which are on if you think you're getting up here. Come on, Sean, I know about monsters. Two ways to kill a werewolf. Silver bullet? And? That's it. Shoot him with a silver bullet. Nope. Sorry, Rudy. <laughs> okay, so what's the other way? What? Second way to kill a werewolf. Um, car crash? Accident with power tools? Old age? Falling out of a window? Onto a bomb? Sean, baby, dinner. Oops, gotta go. Wait. So, the Monster Squad... Directed, written and directed by Fred Decker, but also co-written by Shane Black. And I want to talk about Shane Black for a minute because yeah. we are both huge fans of both Shane Black and Fred Decker. But this is always interesting to me whenever, when you, you know, a group of people come together when they're young and talented and they go on to do individual things, but yeah. this is their starting point. And Fred Decker had already made a name for himself with Night of the Creeps, uh, wrote and directed Night of the Creeps. They came out a year before Monster Squad. It wasn't like a big movie, but it was. But of the people that saw it, it was it it got um, good recognition yeah, anyway. C- confidently yeah. and competently yeah. made film, a genre film. Fred Decker was friends with Shane Black, and so he asked him about uh, working on the script that uh, was the he he said the Little Rascals meets the uh, Universal Universal Monsters, Monsters. and so Shane Black. Uh, started working on the script and the reason I talk about Shane Blackmore is because he was one of those one of the first I guess like screenwriters who was like a superstar like as soon as he wrote Monster Squad he wrote Lethal Weapon and Lethal (laughs) Weapon became this just enormous insanely enormous franchise yeah and it it was it was something like had the timing been like had uh, maybe like Monster Squad come out after Lethal Weapon or something like that. It would have, they could have kind of ridden on the coattails oh, yeah, of if that. You, if you would have just put, just if they could have put on the poster <laughs> yeah. from the writer of Lethal of Weapon, Lethal Weapon you know? it probably would have been yeah. a whole different game. Um, but uh, yeah, Shane Black did that. Went on to do uh, Last Boy Scout. Wrote, um, let's see, Last Action Hero, Long Kiss Goodnight, and then eventually became writer director with uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then going on to direct Iron, Iron Man. Man 2. Yeah, or 3. Should, I think it was part 2. 2, okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, just one of those writers that just became like a superstar, writing superstar. And uh, actually him and Fred Decker are reteaming for the first time with the movie coming out uh, in like a week or so here. Yeah, um, The Predator. The Predator, so we got to go see that. Oh, we're, we've already got yeah. a date to go see that. Um and so Fred Decker did not have such a catapulting like career. Unfortunately, Monster Squad wasn't really a, a huge hit, and then commercial success. Commercial success. Um, yeah, was a hit with the fans. And then he went on to do RoboCop Three, which 
was also not a commercial success. Um, mm-hmm. And that, uh, yeah, it's like, it's got to be tough when you're young and in Hollywood, like, you don't get as many chances if you're, if you're not like a, you know, have one or two hits behind you. And it seemed, it seemed like too, coming off of Night of the Creeps that, yes, like wasn't a giant box office hit, but was, you know, people appreciated it that, um, I think Fred Decker said something like, you know, you're, you're never hotter than right before your movie comes out. Right. So like there had been some buildup to Monster Squad and it seemed like everything was kind of poised for this movie to, to do well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it was maybe not a shock, but I don't think anyone expected it to like not do that well. Cause every, uh, there are just so many people that put their heart and soul into this and it had taken quite a long time in order for this movie to actually get out there. I think the like story for monster squad existed or, there had been talk of it before even night of the creeps yeah and it's it's it it bums me out because i think fred decker is like such a talented like an assured filmmaker you know it has like a significant voice you know in a particular style and you know i think he would have been up there with be able to do movies like i think joe dante is another example of someone like he was a film i do but the thing is is like i think that had he not had gremlins he would have been somebody that because as soon as he didn't have a hit or two, he was done. Like they, they were like, you yeah. can't make movies anymore with a budget. And, but because Gremlins and Interspace were like kind of hits, he was able to make these yeah. other films, smaller films that were in line with his sensibilities. And I think Fred Decker would have been the same. But unfortunately, he didn't, he never got that, that push, you know, that hit of a film. Yeah. He, he looks at it in some ways that Monster Squad, was detrimental to his career but he said that it's probably his greatest film at this point anyway and i think i think that's true i think this i really think this is a great film and i think this is a not just i mean there's certainly all these movies that we do for the podcast i undeniably have some sort of nostalgic love attached to them of course i'm not going to deny that but at the same time there are a lot of movies that I've had nostalgic love tied to that I've rewatched and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't really, you know, I know that I'm not as into this movie. So I feel like I can di- differentiate a little bit. And this is a movie that I can watch time and time again, ever usually during the Halloween season. And I do think this is a movie. If you're looking for a family friendly Halloween film and yeah. you've got, and you're just burnt out and watching Hocus Pocus with your kids for the <laughs> umpteenth time, you can, put in monster squad and watch monster squad with them. Cause I think this is a very uh, family appropriate and a uh, really festive and fun movie to watch during the Halloween holidays. It's funny you say that. Um, I, I can rewatch this movie at any point And I actually, I did earlier today and there's a point during the, uh, there's a amazing, one of my most favorite musical montages in a movie happens in monster squad. And it's kind of towards the end of that in the movie where it, it something within me it made me feel like it was Halloween or just right around Halloween and I like just had something happen where I was like it's almost Halloween oh it's not though but it is there's just something about it that yeah. you can watch it really at any time uh, any time of the year but um I think it just because of it's so exciting and fun 
it just has that that spirit that yeah. that happens right around the Halloween. That's a time good little montage too, oh. and a good little song. I feel like that song. Rock until you drop. I feel like that song. If by like, Michael Sambello. But I feel like if like. <laughs> It's like one of those songs. It's like it. It has like it's very reminiscent of like a Kenny Loggins like movie yeah. type song. Like yeah. I, I, I'm shocked that it wasn't. I mean, I feel like if this movie was a hit, that would have been on the radio like yeah. all the time. I mean, rock until you drop, dance until your heart stops, uh, party till your brains fall out. <laughs> I could go on. You should. <laughs> I've already I've already yeah. been singing on this yeah. podcast one time. I gotta yeah. I gotta hold it together. Well. <laughs> I uh, I want to talk a little bit about just this this style like of this movie we we've mentioned this in other episodes. Um, okay, a hybrid genre where in the eighties particularly comedy was mixed with real scares. Yeah, generally in a movie that's not super terrifying or like gross out horror. In yeah. this movie, you know, I think Gremlins falls in that category. Gremlins 2, uh, Fright Night, Evil Dead 2. Even Lost Boys a little uh, bit. Lost Boys, House, I think. is You know, and yeah. and and I think Fred Decker with Night of the Creeps. You know, he, I think oh, with yeah. these two films, Night of the Creeps and Monster Squad, he, and being a writer of House, this was a genre that he really excelled at. I think it's hard to make a movie that's scary and at the same time has humor and on top of it all, yeah, have a little bit of heart, you know. Yeah, it's not like it's it's a a comedy first, and then you know has something that's. It's not like it's once bitten. That's like a comedic vampire movie. It's it's a relatively you know frightening or scary or horror movie with funny little bits thrown in, and it is difficult to pull that off without coming off as cheesy. And I think. Like with something like Night of the Creeps, what happens is is it really embodies the camp factor, which was intended, but again, is, is sometimes really hard to pull off. Like for me, I've always known Dracula before I saw Monster Squad. Yeah. But throughout my childhood, the real scary Dracula that I was familiar with was from this movie. I didn't have anything attached to like an old black and white scary vampire movie so at the time this dracula was like the dracula of my childhood um that i found scary and that i remembered the most that i associated vampire movie vampires with you know that's one thing that we probably should we already kind of said you know universal monsters and for anyone out there that doesn't know what what we mean by that we mean like universal studios original like monster movies and yeah. that being like you know Bella Lugosi is Dracula and like Lon Chaney is the Wolfman and um, Boris yeah. Karloff's Frankenstein yeah um, and these were um, I mean yes there was Nosferatu that existed before yeah. that but these were these were part of high budgeted yeah. dream like quality horror films yeah and um, which are all man th- those are the movies I, I grew up on those movies my mom had me watching those when i was young because they were also like safe yeah. you know for kids to watch not they weren't kids movies at all but yeah yeah um so that's what we mean by universal monsters all the, these these classic you know things that you can say the mummy or frankenstein yeah, and, the, and you the, know what we're talking about and they about. sort of set the standard for that you know in pop yeah. culture and just like these are the movies that kids of the 50s grew up on 
and it's why I feel like Monster Squad is is extra special because I I don't feel like it's it's not ripping off anything or it doesn't make it any less creative by you know by taking these characters that existed before like we all know who these characters are but we're putting them in a completely different story and setting and and having um you know a whole unique story by itself Um, when i think that's what makes what i like about the monster squad too is it it's referencing this universe that we all know which is we're all familiar with these monsters from the universal monster movies yeah we're familiar with we we are from in in the monster squad those movies exist and i just i think that's really endearing i think that's what makes this movie so much fun is it you know it plays on a lot of what we know of growing up what we know of monsters but then has its own original aspects and puts its own spin on these monsters and actually makes them more frightening than i think the original universal monster movies yeah. are yeah and I think that's where the whole genre blending um, kind of adds a whole uh, another layer, really, is we have these original monster movies, and then we mix that a little bit with this idea of the little rascals, you know, meet these universal monsters, and then we bring it into the late '80s, where where kid-centered movies were a thing, and really, I think Monster Squad kind of helped catapult that idea in the 80s and helped like solidify that like I was saying before that kids could do anything they could solve crime and they could fight monsters Uh, but with this one it is blending so many different things together that it creates this world that I don't think I can't think of another movie like it during the time I'm glad and we'll talk about this a little bit later but glad to know and hear that a quite a large audience has embraced this film um and banded together and this is a movie that's you know would fall into that what i would consider a cult classic you know so you would consider it a cult i movie. do consider it a cult I classic too. <laughs> i do too i think a movie that has like a very strong following where it's like people are like this is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. kind of thing but not but then there's the majority of the world is like I, I never heard of that movie. I, yeah. That to me get falls into that category. And there, there are plenty of movies that I can think of that no one, or I feel like five people have, have have heard of that could be considered so obscure that they're cult movies. But the thing about it is that there's really not a following behind them because there's there's something that like makes it. Meh, there's a reason this movie didn't do so well. Yeah. But with Monster Squad. It is the fact that its popularity has only gotten larger throughout time, um, I think says a lot about um, its longevity and um, ability to sustain itself. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, go to another clip and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the cast. We'll talk a little bit about the creature effects and then uh, we'll move on to our picks of the week, which are very... uh, Heavy in Fred Decker realm filmography. Man, I guess I just really love Fred Decker. I really do too. Do. He's a great filmmaker. Now look, I'm the leader of this squad. So listen up. You said Dracula knows we're here. So let's just try to find the amulet. And 
get the hell out of here. So, I always like talking about cast when we when we do these episodes. Um, yeah. So this was a movie that didn't really have a lot of familiar names, but it was a movie that I think is always wise. The movies where they have some newcomers for kids, and then some actors who are veterans, like familiar faces, mm-hmm. not necessarily household names, um, but newcomers. Uh, Andre Gower and Ryan Lambert, who both, um, I think, put in really endearing performances in this movie. Yeah. You know, I, I really, the, just this idea of like a club, you know, is something that I think when we're all kids, we kind of have our make-believe club or our like, you know, your band of friends, you're always pretending to be, you're mimicking, uh, you know, you a TV show that you like or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. you're using your imagination. And I think that's where this movie's strengths are. It was in these kids' imaginations and this like bond, this friendship that they form. And I I think that the acting in this is, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it's really suits the movie. Well, these feel like they could be your friends. Yeah. I feel like Andre Gower's uh, portrayal of Sean was, very confident and likable like just a solid lead character and ironically he was he wanted the part of Rudy that Ryan Lambert got it it feels like where the chips fell it was kind of meant to be that way Ryan Lambert really pulls off the character of Rudy effortlessly and it was either before or during but those two I believe were kind of you know teen idol teen beat heartthrobs around that time the whole group really um we've got patrick who was a uh, robbie keiger kiger might be pronouncing that incorrectly but um patrick was a good oddball character that was kind of thrown in there and phoebe the little girl honestly like i identified with phoebe i was phoebe at that age I think that that's one of the reasons I fixated so much on this movie growing up was because, you know, my brother had his group of of friends that were all part of like, you know, a bicycle gang and like went on adventures together and they had treasure maps and like would swing out on vines in the woods and do all of this stuff. And they're eight years older than I am. And I'm like the kid sister. And to me, Monster Squad was you know was my my childhood um so phoebe i think for me really fit into that group even though she was very you know very young in comparison to everybody else and even we can't forget eugene and especially horace brent chalem r.i.p yeah horace Um, is uh definitely a character that i think a lot of people i mean i think probably identified with most was horace just like being like sort of like more of the outcast kid that doesn't yeah. fit in, but is, you know, there to help out and support the the group. I feel like I, I wanted to, in my head, maybe um, I wanted to be the Sean character, but in reality, in my middle school days, I was most definitely uh, treated like the Horace character, picked on outsider type of thing. 
but it's one of the one of the things um, that just one character brings to this group and I think part of the overall picture why each one of these characters brings something special that makes anyone watching this movie especially if you feel like an outsider able to identify with it so uh, I think like outside of the cast uh, the other big thing to love about the monster squad itself Mm -hmm. is the monsters yeah the monster squad uh, effects I think are really great and I think originally the idea was to model them identical to the universal monsters but then there was some sort of copyright copyright universal uh, didn't want to have anything to do with yeah, it so so they said that you can there can be a likeness but it can't be identical so so they made an effort to make them similar to the universal monsters but have their own individual identities which in a lot of ways i think is better because i i i love the way the creatures look and it was a team of a lot of young young yeah. people made up the special effects crew but they were headed up by Stan Winston who uh, shot the fame by doing the effects for the Terminator and creating the alien in aliens mm-hmm. um, working with James Cameron and then also doing the predator uh, monster. So that was a pretty big deal to get, I think for kind of, yeah, to get him involved, to, to get him involved. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I understand, he kind of turned a lot of it over to the young people on the crew. Like here, you know, here's what we're going to do. And they broke up into teams and each team, took on a different monster to me the monsters in this are really scary the practical effects yeah still work really well this isn't a movie that i go back and watch and like man you feel like something's dated yeah yeah i mean stuff still looks really really good even when the wolfman all his body parts come to come together and the transformation scene i think is as good as a transformation scene that we've seen in the howling or american world in london it, they do specifically with the werewolf they do or fred decker does a lot of you know we he uses uses the shot in order to you know change uh maybe we pass by and the screen goes black for one second but it is like looks like one continuous shot but also at the same time the practical effects really work like it, that's one thing i love about practical practical effects when done well is that it makes it so much more believable. Yeah. And I'm going to completely buy that like over over any type of CGI. Yeah, and I think that the the end um battle sequence in this is 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 fantastic. It's still very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um very thrilling. I have to say this again back to the Wolfman. Yeah. I love that Wolfman's on like, you know, standing on two feet. Yeah. Uh <laughs> kind of like the old school uh, original werewolf yeah not like on all fours like looking more animal than man yeah you gotta love like the torn shirt type of thing i love that uh wanted to close out a little bit on because i and we'll talk more about the the documentary wolf man's got nards we'll close out i wanted to close out a little bit on sort of what the monster squad has become like this was a movie that not a lot and, th- and they talk about this in the wolfman's got nards documentary this was a movie that sort of laid dormant i mean i know i found it through a friend of mine had this taped on vhs and i think a lot of people this was one that was like passed around people saw it on cable yeah. about um, how old were you when you discovered it 
I guess I would have been about 11 years old. Okay. Probably maybe like a year after it came out. Okay. Um, but I feel like I read about it in like the Teen Beat magazines. You know, I'm sure I was reading that kind of crap whenever I was yeah. 10, 11. But this had a, never really had a, uh, and I did end, uh, end up buying, I remember buying the the original VHS at the mall. Oh, really? At a, uh, at a Suncoast video, if you remember those. R.I.P. Yeah. yeah, I bought a lot of Suncoast video. Um, and I probably paid like an outrageous price for yeah, it too, I'm sure. Definitely. Um, <laughs> this was one where the sheer audience, the sheer fan base of this movie got a DVD release. Like people like, like pledged to, you know, push the studio to release this movie on uh, DVD and then eventually Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And uh, enough people rallied together that they were able to get like a special edition release of this movie and, you know, for them to go back and restore it uh, so it wouldn't get lost. Yeah. Um, so you're able to watch like a clean version of this, not like a dubbed over, Dub- you know, and, and there, don't yeah. get me wrong. There's something special about watching a dubbed over version because that's how I remember most mo- most movies. Sure. My memory is watching like a very degraded version of whatever movie that, no. you know was my favorite at the time before i bought the that that edition dvd edition that you're talking about the only copy i had of monster squad was was taped from hbo and i had watched it so much and i have a lot of vhs and i found that even if they are really old if you haven't played it a lot it's still the audio is still gonna be okay the Monster Squad one, though, like that audio, you can jack it all the way up and it's still difficult to hear. But, you know, if you're like me and you've seen it a million times, it's it's fine. It doesn't yeah. even matter if it's quiet. And I was very, uh, I'm not saying this in any kind of bragging way, but I was like, feel very fortunate. You can totally say it. I feel very fortunate that uh, when they did the, it was like almost the 20th anniversary of this movie. It was like before they did the 20th anniversary DVD I was living in Austin. The Alamo Draft House uh, put together a two-night. Um, they screened a 35 millimeter print of the Monster Squad, and they had the whole cast and crew there. Fred Decker was there, and so I, me and my sister-in-law went to this because uh, we both were huge fans of the Monster Squad, and it was just like one of the most energetic screenings I've ever been to. Like the energy in the room was like incredible, and like. It was just watching the movie with a crowd was like one of the funnest things ever. And they kind of didn't realize until they were asked, that being like the the cast and Fred Decker, really didn't realize what kind of a following that the movie had up until, you know, the, the, yeah. the showing. So it's kind of a huge deal. And it was, and it was that showing, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was that showing that it, really like that Fred Decker ball rolling yeah for, Fred Decker's like if you want a DVD of this write letters yeah, tell got, people that, that you want it the ball rolling for uh and then since then there's been screenings of the Monster Squad all over the country that's so crazy um, that's so it makes me really happy for them I mean if if anything like even though who knows what could have happened, you know, for everyone involved with this movie had it blown up when it should have blown up. But the fact that it's years later and I mean, 30 years later and and it's blown up, it almost, I wonder if in a way it's actually better for everybody that's involved that it is, um, 
or makes it even a little bit more special that it's yeah. blown up the way that it has now. I don't know. There's no way there's no way to know that, but um I like to think that it's even better for everybody involved now. Yeah. Well, if um if you're a listener out there who is unfamiliar with this movie that we've been talking about or you're semi-familiar but you've never seen it, this is one I really urge you to check out. And again, there's not a lot of movies that I can recommend to kids. Most of the movies that we've done on this podcast, I think are rated R actually yeah. now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this one I think is very uh kid oriented, works both for adults and kids. I think it's one that and again it's another one to watch during the holidays. Yeah. Any holiday. Watch yeah. it during Fourth of July. It's great. <laughs> so uh we'll go on to our picks of the week. Um keeping it in the Fred Decker Justin, they could really talk about Monster Squad for hours. I, I know you could I feel like I could too. But we need to. Uh, okay. We're getting. We're getting. I know. To that we got it. We got to keep trucking. Picks of the week. Do uh, you want to kick this one off? Uh, I'll kick this one off. Yeah. So my pick of the week is the movie House. It came out in 1985. Uh, the story is credited to Fred Decker, and it was directed by Steve Miner, who started out. Uh, working in the Friday 13th franchise. He directed part two and part three, uh, eventually went on to direct Halloween H2O. So he was no stranger to the horror genre, and it was produced by Sean S. Cunningham, who was the original director of Friday 13th. So we've got a lot of the horror genre in the house making this movie uh, come together. And this is a strange little film. It's not, it's not a great movie by any means. I think almost it really rides a fine line in that that hybrid of humor and horror. And sometimes I think the humor or it, its attempts at humor hurt the horror elements of this film. Uh, so it does kind of it's it's pretty campy and cheesy. I'm not gonna lie. Um, this movie isn't really scary at all. It, it rides high on camp, but it is a fun film. It revolves around a writer whose aunt has committed suicide in this house. And this writer's very troubled. He's coming off of a divorce. He's not doing really well in his life. His son's gone mysteriously missing. He's got some troubled past. Possibly he's got uh, some uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome from being in the Vietnam War and he inherits his house from his aunt. So he goes to live in this house, soon realizing that uh, there's some weird stuff going on in this house. Monsters, ghouls, ghosts, what have you. Possibly it's haunted by something from his past. I don't want to give any spoilers away. But uh, him finding out about these weird monsters and stuff going on is kind of goofy. And uh, there's a lot of humor brought on by his neighbor, played by George Wendt of Cheers fame. Uh, it also stars Richard Mole from Night Court fame, and then the main actor who Martin Mole or Martin Mole? No, Richard Mole. It is okay. Richard Mole, yeah. And I'm I'm for sure about this. I was wrong about yeah. Iron Man, but I'm so, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mo- Martin Mole was Clue. I apologize. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> I was wrong about Iron Man uh, when we were talking about Iron Man. Um, Shane Black did Iron Man three direct Iron Man three, so we're one for one. 
Uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, William Cat plays the uh, lead, and uh, you might know him from a. It's kind of a cult show, I guess. Uh, the Greatest American Hero. It's not one that uh, I remember as a kid, but my wife like loves it. She's every time we've ever watched how she's like, it's the guy from It's the Greatest American Hero. So he, uh, so it's really it's a movie that's um, built around all these TV actors, uh, interesting, like in kind of big shows from the '80s. It's a fun movie. Again, it doesn't really rely too heavily on scares. Ultimately, it's there's a mystery involved that goes into some uh, strange flashback sequences. There's some like fantasy dream flashback elements, but it's an '80s movie, so of course you know that's that's totally acceptable. Um, that was just a thing that happened in the 80s. You're going to have, like, especially in the horror genre, you're going to have some sort of weird fantasy or dream sequence or what have you. Uh, the special effects are pretty good, though. It's it's one, you know, a lot of weird, cool, practical effects. The monster in it is very strange and strange-sounding. So, uh, and also a really cool, uh, the, the musical score uh, composed by... Uh, Harry Manfredini, who did almost all of the Friday the 13th movies. It's, it's got an eerie, driving, piano-driven score. I really like it. It fits the movie very well. Um, so if you haven't seen it, House 1985, check it out. It's pretty easily available on Amazon. Actually, I think you can watch it for free on YouTube as well. I'm pretty sure I have it on a compilation that I was given of a, a, a couple different horror movies. And I also want to add it had one of the coolest posters of the horror movie posters of the 80s where it had this like sort of uh, it was like this rotting hand yeah. finger that was touching a doorbell and the tagline was ding dong you're dead. Yeah. I just thought that I mean no, 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 the it really has awesome. nothing to do that happens in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was just like this very uh cool poster I actually have the poster uh, in my closet it's it's a creepy creepy poster so your pick of the week was night of the creeps another uh this is a soul solely written directed by fred decker correct it's true and this is one like you said well i didn't this is one i saw much later after monster squad me me too um, and if there's one thing that fred decker nails it's how to write a super entertaining movie with uh, the type of scares that are more fun, uh, more so than uh, they are completely terrifying. And 1986's Night of the Creeps is a total hodgepodge of almost everything that could be in a typical horror movie, but with a 1950s B horror movie vibe all throughout it. You've got, you know, zombies, aliens, exploding heads, body snatching slugs, and basic kid flirtation while trying to... Uh, battle said body snatching slug zombies and even a detective in dire need of a therapist um and looking to uh, right the wrongs of his past that part is always makes me laugh it's kind of like the cheesiest part for me but it's kind of needed for the movie now decker did an amazing job i think creating this world where the past still feels like it haunts the present and night of the creeps is thoughtfully executed visually and surprisingly somewhat deep on the plot as well. Not totally deep, but like there's there's a little bit of history behind it. It's an 80s homage to cult and B-horror movies of times gone by. 
There are plenty of scares, legit moments of holding your breath, waiting for something to be revealed from around the corner. But the jump scares in this movie differ from those that we've come to know in movies today. Like with Night of the Creeps, um, you can't guess what's going to be behind door number one. But with movies today, we know it's probably going to be something bloody, gross. It may make you feel violated and have nightmares later on. But with this Decker film, you're looking forward to what's behind that door. Some The next imaginative scare, whether it's going to be gross or not, you just you have no idea what it's going to be in this movie. It feels much more like the decade it was born into than Monster Squad, I feel like. And although like both stories come from Decker's mind, it's obvious that he knows how to write youngsters in scary situations while never losing the fun and like thrilling adventurous aspect of movie watching. This is a movie that's a perfect drive-in movie still. You know, just think of like, I don't know, you sitting in a convertible with your arm around your sweetheart, something like that. Total 1950s vibe, but you know what I mean. The slithering grossness and head-exploding special effects are campy by today's standards, but man, I'm such a sucker for these awesome visuals. And even though they look fake at times, like downright super fake at times, it really fits in with the campiness, thus making it all too perfect for this movie. It, even though, I don't know, even though you know it's fake, I love it. <laughs> My, the tagline for this movie still holds up and I love it so much. The good news is your dates are here. Bad news is they're dead. Love it. I can safely say that this is a favorite horror light movie of mine, even though it took me years to own my own copy. But uh, now after repeated viewings, it gets better and better each time I watch it. I'm glad you like it, Justin. Yeah, and there's uh, the last time I watched it, one thing I never noticed. What's that? Uh, is that on the... Um when one of the slugs is in the oh, bathroom yeah. with the kid on the bathroom <laughs> stall, written in marker, it says the Monster Squad. It says Go Monster Squad. Go Monster Squad. Yeah, it's really cute. I love that. If you love Monster Squad, like you, you've noticed it. Um, no, I think uh, I actually got to catch fairly recently. Uh, they showed Night of the Creeps at midnight showing yeah. here in St. Louis. It's um, such a great theater. It's a good crowd pleaser. Yeah, it's it's fun. It is what you think of of like a great 80s like horror movie, but it's not horror in that you're going to walk out and feel nauseous. It's like it's palatable for anyone that can that can like a movie. Really, I feel like I just have so many friends that don't like scary movies or horror movies. And I feel you need, you need to find some new friends. I know. I'm just joking. I uh, I just feel like so many times I'm like, no, 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 you could actually sit through this one. It's totally, totally fine. <laughs> Night of the Creeps is one of those. I think it's a good one. Yeah. I think that was a good pick. I love House. Fred Decker, man, we obviously, we really like you on this podcast. He also wrote, uh, either wrote or wrote the story to the movie Ricochet. I watched that not too long ago oh, with uh, that's right. Denzel Washington, a young Denzel Washington yeah. and a, a young John Lithgow. Good. And, uh, and a young iced tea. Way to way to bring up that gem. Good job. Um, and it pretty thrilling. It's a good good revisit. Fred Decker's got uh, he's got a great creative mind, yeah. and he's very talented, and can pull off basically anything. He's got a good vision. Yeah. Well, uh, 
Let's move on. It is time. Here is your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Hey, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. When Billy Mary was a kid, he wasn't much into monster hunting like the squad of kids that we've been talking about during this podcast. Nah, Billy and his brothers were pretty much working-class kids who all caddied at the local Indian Hill Club in Winnetka, a golf course outside of Chicago. So this was probably in the 1960s, and also these were the times when, you know, you did your caddying barefoot. And caddies weren't paid very well either, but you could make a little bit more money than the average kid. And in Billy's opinion, he thinks caddying is a job that every kid should do in their youth to learn some life lessons. The quiet, dew-filled early mornings and uh, beautiful sunsets with nature chirping around was also an added perk. Billy loved that tranquility. Now, the Murray brothers did a lot of growing up pretty fast because of their caddying. And as caddies, they took um, took care of some successful business women and men. Their belongings cheered on and encouraged these golfers to play well. That was their role. These Murray boys had to hang with the mature, sometimes very, you know, socially important folk at an early age. And because of this, Billy believes that caddying is partially responsible for his good and solid work ethic, obviously something that can be seen through his professional body of work, films, and whatnot. And possibly just as important, maybe even a little more, Billy said that he learned a lot about people. You've got a lot of time to observe people and how they interact during 18 holes of golf. You see how people treat others who are their equals or who they consider their equals, and then also people who they consider or who they think are, quote, under them. Billy says that this helped shape how he treats people in his life and also helped him realize how he wants to be treated. Some of the golfers were kind and considerate, while others were downright rude and dismissive. I think Billy's feelings can be best communicated through the words of Peter Venkman in Ghostbusters. My friend, don't be a jerk. That's basically what he's trying to say. Another thing he figured out on the golf course, out in nature, out in the open, while still feeling somewhat private, this is when secrets come out. It turned out to be important in understanding human behavior. As Billy put it, the role of being a caddy is an all-around great life lesson. You show up, keep up, and shut up. Of course, there was one part, you know, one bad part of his job. There had to be one part. He was the shag boy. And this means Billy would go out and recover dead golf balls. But if he wasn't paying attention, he'd get beaned in the head. And even including being beaned in the head, I think caddying could most certainly be replaced with any job in the service industry. People can be treated like garbage. Even when you're not at work, people just sometimes treat other people like garbage. Not to go all moralistic here, but treating people with respect goes a long way. And being a caddy, being in the service industry, really gives you an insight as to how to treat folks. Now it's up to you whether you choose to learn from those lessons or not. 
And if you don't believe me, listen to Billy. He's been around longer than me. I'm not saying that Billy Murray is a saint, but I've read enough examples about the dude to know that while he's very particular, he never wants trouble or anyone to be upset, just wants honesty and for people to be treated fairly and with respect. And all that stems from his childhood days as a caddy. I don't know. It's kind of like cute to think about he learned a lot about people at such an early age doing that job because I could only imagine the type of crap he put up with. I think that is true about working in the service industry sort of yeah. gives you an early lesson on how terrible people can be and how yeah. you don't want to treat people that way. Yeah. And I think I I, I wonder, I would want to ask Bill Murray if he if that's kind of, you know, we a lot of people have experienced him that have that have met him if of him just being real and just relating to people like any other person and not really acting like a celebrity. Now there of course I'm sure there are other stories too, but I wonder if if having that background really has something to do with him being able to relate to basically, you know, the everyday man, someone in the service industry that's like I'm not going to treat somebody in a subservient way um, right because you know that's what they used to do and I think it, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure every celebrity has their bad day totally you're totally completely not in a good mood and you get people yeah. hounding you for whatever but yeah I think that yeah coming if you're a celebrity that comes out of working in some sort of service industry job before you get your big break yeah he probably gives you a little bit of yeah you know, perspective. And I think if in the, when you're working as a caddy, there might be a, a particular class of, of folks that you deal with that, um, maybe like everybody in the service industry doesn't necessarily deal with that particular type of class. Oh yeah. And I feel like you might have a different understanding um, and a different view of how of how people are treated, and I think yeah. like in this in this specific case, I bet that Billy and his brothers um, learned a few things, which maybe keeps them a little bit maybe more grounded. I don't yeah. know. Well, thanks for that Murray moment. Of course, it was good. I like hearing early stories of of actors. Yeah, sometimes like they're hard. They were they're hard to dig up a little bit. On uh, on Billy. It's interesting that you brought up uh, that particular because I again I I for real honest to you listeners I never know what Lindsay's going to. It's true, but say we, for the Murray moment before but we recorded, we were talking about Caddyshack. Before we recorded, like literally before you came over, I was listening to this documentary about Caddyshack, mm-hmm. and they were talking in the documentary. They talked about how all the Murray brothers worked at that country yeah. club and how they pulled all the ideas from Caddyshack all a lot Completely. of that came from their experiences yeah so it was like very odd when I know you, as soon as you started telling this story I was like man as soon as you started talking about that earlier I was like did I tell him that I was gonna yeah. be talking about I don't think I did Weird. we're just uh we're just on that I know path. we've we've reached that point yeah. actually yeah in our friendship podcast ship I'm I'm good with that. I feel really good about that, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
got kind of like a big outro here because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. We do. So first off, yeah. as always, thank you, listeners. Stick it around to the end. Yeah, stick thank it around. You. I'm very excited. So like, we're... <laughs> I know, we both are. We're 11 episodes in, and the idea of doing this podcast has always been like, you know, a discussion show. But a great opportunity came along uh, to do an interview, and so... And and I hope we get more opportunities to do more interviews on this podcast in the future. But uh, we're very thankful, very lucky to interview Andre Gower, star of Monster Squad, his current producing partner, Henry McComas. Uh, together, they made a feature-length documentary about the making of the Monster Squad, the production, um, all the way down to the legacy and its growing fan base, uh, and hopefully future fan base. And really, like not not just as a quick aside... Not just because we love Monster Squad, like it is a very well done documentary, and I I'm so glad that it's out there, and I really hope it does well. It's so, so good. So so we'll be uh so next week we're gonna have a special because this is biweekly, but we're gonna have a special next week episode bonus episode where we interview Henry and Aunt Andre, and then um it'll mostly just be the interview and. Uh, we'll plug the Monster Squad documentary, which um, is doing some special screenings, but mainly just film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we find out any information, we'll plug that on our Instagram page. So look for that. Okay. And so the week after the interview, we're also going to have kind of a big deal. Sort of another know. special uh, episode. Uh, it's the week of Bill Murray's birthday, mm-hmm. and to celebrate, we're doing an all-Bill Murray podcast, uh, but our main movie of focus will be Quick Change, which is one of my favorite Bill Murray movies. Uh, is it one of your favorite? Yeah. I, it, it's one I, I've seen a million times, but it, it is one that I feel gets shadowed yeah, a it's, lot. Yeah, it's a definitely, I think, an undermentioned but you've Bill had Murray, movies, Gina so. Davis and Randy Quaid. Yeah. It's it's not like a Jason Robards. Yeah. This is not a movie that that should have been shrouded or anything. I mean, they definitely made the, you know, uh, talk show circuit and everything about this movie. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this one. So uh yeah, we'll be doing that and um oh, so we got a lot of good comments on Stand by Me. We got some comments on yes. RoboCop. So those are some bigger movies that we did. And we've had some suggestions on doing some bigger, well-known movies. So that's something we might, you know, teeter with. Yeah, we, we kind of all, we there, there are so many movies out there in the world to talk about. Um, and a lot of, a lot of things that Justin and I like together and agree upon um, that that would make for a good podcast. And then sometimes we just figure, you know, what's a movie out there that people know that's going to grab you and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, that movie. I love that movie. So we kind of toggle between this this feeling of like wanting to, you know, choose a movie that maybe, maybe that Bill Murray movie that you've never seen and a movie that you totally know and haven't seen in a long time. So it's this delicate balance of uh, choosing a movie somewhere in that gray area yeah. because we, we don't want to alienate anybody yes, by, I, you know, choosing a completely obscure movie. And yeah. we also, you know, are not going to talk about Jaws. 
Right. So we'll, we'll but I think we'll, we'll I think we'll lean toward some more well-known movies. We'll So we're going to do Star Wars next week? <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Star Wars it is. Yeah. <laughs> um I wore my Yoda ears. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. I've got my Princess Leia buns right in my car actually well, always. So next week you got the interview, our first interview with um Andre Gower and Henry McComas and then a week after that we've got Quick Change our special Bill Murray episode so again uh, thank you for listening Um, you can always find us on Facebook Don't Push Pause podcast Uh, we're really active on Instagram that seems to be our our favorite uh, social media outlet and we're there Don't Push Pause podcast um, you can go to our website, don'tpushpausepodcast.com, or you can always contact us directly, which we always love hearing from people at don'tpushpausepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, was there any final thoughts you had about Monster Squad? Anything you want to say before we close it out? Oh, man. Um, I think I, I, I mentioned it a little bit, but um, this movie does contain my favorite musical montage and um if you if you do nothing else if you don't seek out monster squad if it's been a long time since you've seen it just go straight to youtube right now and look up monster squad montage or rock until you drop just look it up right now because i guarantee it's gonna make your day it it's made my day numerous times in life and uh I like that you wore your Stephen King Rules t-shirt for the podcast. Tonight. I most certainly did. I didn't Duh. think that you wouldn't not wear it. Duh. I'm surprised you didn't wear your Monster Squad hat. Yeah. You did during the interview. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's because it's hot down here. Because we have the AC <laughs> up. <laughs> um, what's your, do you have a, a final Monster Squad thought? Uh, yeah, I guess I got kind of two thoughts here. Uh, one being uh, first... Um, you know, I, I, this is something that we were didn't mention. Uh, we had talked about it, but didn't mention earlier, and uh, failed to mention it during the, when I was, you know, uh, recommending this as a family film. Uh, do think this is a very festive and, and family appropriate uh, Halloween holiday movie. But um, just like many '80s movies, um, Heather's, Bill and Ted, uh, like Weird Science. We mentioned this on our Weird Science uh, episode. Um, during the 80s, th- there are a lot of these movies now. You watch them now, and uh, there's those cringeworthy moments of either coming off homophobic or racist. And certainly, Monster Squad has a couple of those cringeworthy moments. So, those of you who are familiar with the movie, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. And those of you who are not, maybe it is something that you might want to investigate before you show it to your family. Um, I guess my final thought um, on the Monster Squad is when we were first starting out this podcast why well, i went over to your house and we practiced yeah. with this movie just to see what our report would be because yeah. we didn't really know each other that well and yeah then we got a big old monster squad poster hanging in our <laughs> studio here we do i it, it is really what what brought us together so so this makes it a and, and we're almost uh it's like it a year in a year since we met up and started talking about doing this thing so yeah i guess that's my final thought on it. it's kind of kind of a big deal yeah yeah. And thank you so much for sticking with us and making it, you know, to what, what episode are we on now? Uh, 11. 11? Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for sticking with us. And it's only going to get better from here on out. I can hope. I hope. 
I mean. Yeah. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. I'm Lindsay Raper. Thanks a lot. Thank you.